After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them whether Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. And Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, when they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him, then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. A little girl came home from Sunday school waving a paper to her mum to see. She says, look, mummy, the teacher said I drew the most unusual Christmas picture she ever saw. The mother took one look at a picture and basically had to agree with the teacher. She started asking some questions, hoping that her daughter was going to be able to try to bring an explanation to what the picture means. Some of you who are parents and grandparents would, would know what I'm talking about, because you've been there. I find it quite fascinating at times. You, you know, you, you go to somebody's house and the kid just shows you a picture and you think, have I got a clue what this is? So you need to ask for an explanation, which she did, asking uh, uh, basically her, her daughter, what, what is this? And she says, well... Why have you drawn the picture of an airplane and who are the people riding in the back of the airplane? And she says, well, mommy, that's what it says in the Bible. It talks about the flight to Egypt. <laughs> well, the mother was quite pleased with the answer, but she thought, get a better prod a little bit more onto it. And she says, well, who is that really mean looking man at the front of the plane? And the daughter said, it's quite simple, don't you know? It's in the Bible. That's Pontius, the pilot. <laughs> so often we misunderstand what the Christmas story is all about. And one of the things is that we get lost in the family traditions that we sometimes have. And if you ask people, if we were to go out somewhere right now, assuming that there would be people there, which there probably wouldn't be any, 
But if there was a crowd, you could ask them questions and say, what's Christmas all about? What does Christmas mean to you? People would invariably talk about uh, food and special traditions regarding to the Christmas meal and the, the gathering of the family and presents. So it's usually that, family, food, presents. And sometimes it's easy to miss what's really essential and important about Christmas. And it is about the gift that God sends to us. And perhaps the gift that we can give back as a thank you to God as a response to it. And this is where we find this incredible story. And you would probably know that this isn't really happening around Christmas time. In that sense, around the birth of Jesus, it's happening a little bit later, actually, in the church calendar. It's celebrated on the first of on the sixth of January, uh, on Epiphany, and it's the the coming of the wise men or the Magi from the east, as they're known, coming to worship Jesus. Again, the misconception is there were three of them. We don't really know. Some three types of gifts are being mentioned, but we don't really know how many there were. One thing is sure that these men come, and it's an unbelievable story. It actually captures the truth about what Christmas is about, in my opinion. And first and foremost, it's about the fact that God gives a revelation of who he is to the people. It's almost as if God pulls back the curtain and says, you always wanted to know who I am. And I'm showing you, I'm telling you. And he does it to these people. I love the way he connects with their interest. These were unlikely candidates once again to come like we looked at last time at at the shepherds the the magi the wise men they were unlikely candidates they they were coming from persia again you would have expected that at the birth of jesus you would have had there at least in my opinion if i was going to be uh, arranging the the birth party of jesus i would have thought you probably should gather some priests you probably should gather, should gather some Levites. You probably should have, get some people that are involved in the religious life because the Messiah, the Son of God, will be born. And then probably it would have been expected because of the nature of who he was that some noble men and women would have been invited to be there. Those who would be in a high-ranking place. The church is so thirsty for worldly influence. And it's just so easy sometimes to see how religious leaders try to get themselves connected to the political leaders in order to gain more power. And you would have thought that would have been a a pretty good photo op at the manger to see the newborn king, the Messiah, the promised Messiah, and have the high and mighty of the time maybe people in the showbiz, people in the political world, people who were, were the greatest influences on social media be present there. But God is the God of the upside-down kingdom that does things differently. And he reveals himself, he shows himself, guiding them through the star, through this wise men from the east, these magi. They were probably astrologers. We don't know anything about them, so everything we're trying to guess about them is purely speculative. Some commentators were even wondering whether maybe they would have had some sort of remnant of 
connection with the Jewish history, probably through Daniel, going back in time, if you look in the Old Testament, when the people of God would have been in exile. Who knows? One thing is for sure, God speaks their language. And he guides the astrologers, speaking them through this star. I'm sure there are some of you in the room who understand a lot more about stars, and particularly it's been fascinating uh, over the last week, just that what has been happening, not that I think we could see much, uh, apart from the foggy sky. <laughs> but it's interesting to see the pictures that other people were, have, have managed to, to, to shoot. Those men understood that. It had a significance to them. It's as if God spoke their language and he guides them through that star and he reveals it to them. I love the way he taps into their passion and curiosity because this is our God. He wants to reveal himself to us. And he speaks to them and they are not the likely candidates. They were very likely pagan. They were certainly involved in something that the Bible isn't very keen on. You know, you get into the, when you move from the science of observing what's going on in the sky to interpreting them in a sort of spiritual way, the Bible frowns upon that. So anything to do with horoscopes and anything like that. But how interesting that God would choose to speak to these people like that. That shows us what kind of God we have. A God who wants to get through to us in bringing the message of who Jesus is. Just watched a, a brilliant short one-minute viral video by David Platt, who's an American pastor and missiologist, who was recalling how he found himself, he didn't tell the location, but I, I, I would guess that it's, it's very likely either to be in the Middle East or somewhere in the Far East. But he said, I found myself uh, on, on the doorstep of a temple talking to two other people who were coming from two different religions. There were three of us. And they were trying to say, you know, isn't it great that we, we were all here together and we all believe in God and, and this is quite an amazing thing. And he was trying to debunk this myth that kind of always leads to God. And he said to them, he said, we, we, we tend to imagine that our religions are simply almost like somebody trying to climb a mountain to try to get to the top. And the different religions are just the different pathways. And they were nodding in agreement. And he said, isn't that wonderful? you know, that we all try to do the same thing. And he says, Christianity isn't like that. Christianity isn't about climbing the mountain in order to try to get to God. Christianity is about God coming down from the top of the mountain through the person of Jesus into our world. What a simple way to capture this truth of what it's all about. God comes to us. God comes to the wise men and he speaks their language. And it's such a powerful thing. A famous anthropologist, uh, Vincent Donovan, who was working uh, with Maasai tribes, found a, 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 an observation that was, was quite stark. 
As he was standing around the tribal gatherings, he observed that there was one person always standing off on the side and watching, unengaged. And after a while, he managed to pluck up the courage to go and talk to the person. And he asked them why they won't engage in community and in everything that was happening. Why were they not participating in everything? And the person says, a while ago, I did something that was terribly wrong. A big mistake and something that I should have been doing and something that has been a great offense to the community. And the Maasai people, he said, once you have offended a community and wronged the community, you are excluded from community and there is absolutely no way back into the community. And his words like, were something along those lines. I'm an outsider. I don't belong here. I'm not an insider. That's how a lot of people feel. They, they, they feel like they can't connect with God. They, they don't measure up. They've done things that they regret in their lives. And yet the good news at Christmas is just this. God is making all the outsiders insiders through the coming of Jesus. Theoretically, the wise men would have been outsiders, but God makes them insiders because that's what the good news of Jesus is all about. That's what he comes to do. And they respond to that in a, in a beautiful way. They have this curiosity, and I would have loved, I would have given anything to be able to be there and, and hear their conversations. I mean, I'm fascinated. There's loads of bits in the Bible that I'm so fascinated in thinking, how did that all happen? You, you, you'd, you'd love to see a movie that actually records the exact happenings at the time. And one thing is for sure, they, 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 they read about this star, they see this star, they, they have an intrigue about it, they, they have a hunch that a king will be born and they want to come and worship this king. And in order to do that, they travel and they travel a fair distance. They're ready to sacrifice a lot. Because of their curiosity, something's pushing them. It's almost as if God tapped into their hearts, into an area of interest and was drawing them in towards himself. There would have been questions, and I don't know whether they would have been scientific or spiritual or mystical questions. I have no idea, but there were some questions that were enabling them to pursue this to travel all that distance, to make those sacrifices, to pay the price, to keep being unresilient, even when they have the detour with King Herod. And there's something very human about those questions. And I think we all have them. And we all have these areas in our life where we're looking for an answer and trying to condense them probably in a simplified way, I guess some of the questions relate to the meaning of life and the sense of purpose. Well, why am I here and what's the point of my life? What, what should I do with my life? That's one of the questions. The other question would be very much related to it. It's satisfaction. How, how, how do I do something with my life that is actually satisfying, that actually makes a difference other questions with regards to our existence, probably one that I, I, I think is more poignant in this time 
is what about death? What do I do with that? What is happening afterwards? That's a really big question. I think in the last five weeks, I've had more people that I know die of COVID. And it's just news is coming almost, it seems like almost every day there is some, somebody that I know through a connection, you know, that, 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 that you hear. I was sending a Christmas card to some friends who live in Italy. They're Romanians, but they live in Italy. And uh, they replied back that they were traveling in the car on the way back. The, the husband's father had just passed away with COVID. I'm just thinking, this is grim. You know, Christmas Eve, and you're driving to bury somebody. Grim. And it's that sense of, okay, death is part of the world we live in. But it's just that sense there's so many people going way too early. Yeah. Way too early. So there's a question about life and death and what happens afterwards. And are you ready? Are you prepared? Do, do you feel you can face death in the right way? And then probably the other question that is, is a big human question is that one about guilt. Theologically, the Bible calls it sin, but we feel it as guilt and shame as human beings, the things that we've done or things that we haven't done that we should have done. There's unresolved guilt in there that you, you kind of have loads and loads of regrets and a, a sense of shame and failure. And in all those questions, God is coming through Jesus to try to bring an answer. And that's the good news of what Jesus is trying to do. And it's the same answer that he provided to the curiosity that, that these guys had as they were looking for the meaning of the star. And I love the way they study and they travel and they keep on being resilient because they want to get there to the answer. And when they do, they come and worship, bringing those very meaningful and quite costly gifts. And they worship Jesus because they respond to God. This is what Christmas is about. It's about a revelation that comes from God. If you want, this is God's present to us in Jesus. And if you're thinking, I don't deserve one, you're in good company with every single other person in this room because we're all in the same boat. But God has a present for us. That's what Christmas is about. God has a present for us. And just as the wise men responded to that present by coming and worshipping Jesus, we have a present for God. We give presents to all other people around us. But actually, this is Jesus' birthday party. An American Californian pastor uh, recalls this. He says, my sister recently found a picture of me as a three-year-old standing next to a birthday cake for Jesus, complete with candles. The cake was my idea. As a toddler, I asked my mother, why do we have Christmas? My mom patiently explained that Christmas is a celebration of Jesus' birthday. In a burst of uh, preschooler inspiration, I concluded with the child's logic, then we should have a birthday party. We can have cake and Kool-Aid, he was American, and sing happy birthday to Jesus. 
My mom said, okay, we will. Thus became a five-decade family tradition. Our birthday party for Jesus every Christmas Eve, complete with angel food cake and candles, and that the youngest child, and now grandchild, gets to blow out. Four generations now participate in the sharing. Besides singing carols and reading the Christmas story from the Bible, each family member takes turn in sharing his or her answer to two personal questions. What from the past year are you thankful to God for? And the second question is this. Since it's Jesus' birthday, what gift will you give to him? These two questions, he says, have prompted some of the most profound and moving moments in our family history. So here we are, 2020. Tell you what, a year we'll never forget. On Christmas Day, receiving the news afresh of God's incredible gift in Jesus for us. How do we respond? And I would say, receive it like with any gift. Just receive it. Receive Jesus on this Christmas day. It's the greatest thing you can do. Receive him as God's gift to you. Let him come into your life. Rejoice. You know, we don't rejoice. We're not weird as Christians. We don't rejoice because life is miserable and we pretend. We rejoice because... God is still faithful. And Jesus is still good news. And we rejoice because of that. We can do that. Because actually it's the only hope that we have. In a broken and messed up world. What do we do on Christmas Day? We maybe recommit our lives to Jesus. What a great day to recommit our life to him and to say thank you for your gift. Like the wise men, I want to come and bow the knee before you and worship you. And the best thing you can give him is your heart. He doesn't want anything else. Just your heart. Maybe on Christmas Day we can be inspired as well to recommend Jesus to others. That's part of the good news. If it's good news, you don't keep it to yourself. You share it. You pass it on. It's, a, it's amazing that the stark contrast of the circumstances in our society and everything that is happening around us can make us feel like this is a, a challenging and a difficult year and a challenging and difficult Christmas. And it maybe feels a little bit muted. And sometimes I think rightfully so. Maybe it brings us a little bit back into the time when Jesus was born, when, when the world in which Jesus was born was pretty messed up. That's why he came. So in one sense, yes, it might not have the idyllic, dare I say sometimes pagan, environment of it with you know, revelry and hedonism and selfishness 
and greed. Maybe this is a muted Christmas, but actually we might find ourselves closer to the stable, closer to Jesus, closer to the reality of why Jesus came into the world. And that's not a bad thing. So my encouragement to us all this morning is to be the kind of people that really, really keep Jesus right at the very heart of Christmas. E. Stanley Jones was a missionary and at one point he got lost in the African jungle and he, he had no way of escaping. At some point he found somebody who was local and asked them about the direction that he needed, whether they could take him out and, and lead him to where he needed to be. Uh, and the, the person just simply said, follow me. And as they were going through the different parts of the jungle, the, the guy that was leading was hacking his way and everything looked unmarked. There was nothing familiar. It, there, there was just nothing that was giving A. Stanley Jones a lot of confidence about this. And at one point, kind of hesitantly, he asked a question of his guide. He says, are you quite sure this is the right way? You know, where, where, where is the path? I can't see the path. I thought you were going to take me to, to the path to, to try to get out. And then the man said simply this, Buana, he says, in this place, there is no path. He says, I am the path. Sometimes I think we come to God and we want God to take us out. And we, we, we try to use God for our own benefits. God, will, will you get me out of this? Will you get me to that? In order so we can get out of the jungle, so to speak, and then say goodbye to God. But in the same way, the guide was the one that was only able to take him out of the jungle. Same way for us, the only way we can get out of the mess that the world is in, and sometimes we may feel we're in, is to simply surrender to Jesus. He will guide us every day. And it's this never-ending journey. We, we never say goodbye. Thank you, God. You've taken me out of this. You kept me safe from COVID, or you've healed me from COVID, or you've helped me through that operation, or you've helped me through that relational breakdown, or you've helped me through that financial crisis, or you've given me that job that I wanted, or you got me into that course that I wanted to do. Thank you very much. Now I can do it myself. We, we don't do that. He continues to be our guide through the jungle of life with everything that's challenging forever. That's why the Bible calls him Emmanuel. God with us forever. How would he do it? I haven't got a clue. As one hymn puts it, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. It's the Emmanuel, the God with us, that was born in Bethlehem's manger and is willing to come and reside in our hearts and be the guide that leads us. Amen. Amen. Let's just take some time to, to, to give thanks to Jesus this morning.
for who he is. It'd be great if many of you could pray. Uh, when you pray, feel free to take off your mask because we're all facing what one way. And just bring God thanks for Jesus' gift. And then we sing another carol.